0: Media. This episode is brought to you by Jiminy's, maker of sustainable dog food and treats made with cricket protein that's better for the environment, using less land and water to produce. Cricket protein is a superfood that's delicious, nutritious, and easy to digest for dogs. Save 25% on your first purchase. Go to Jiminy's.com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25 at checkout. Thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite local hotel at home with the Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co/beans and use code Beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of the Bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans for Friday, July 1st, 2022. Today, Donald Trump defrauded donors and is using that money to pay for Trump world lawyers that are intimidating witnesses, including Cassidy Hutchinson. And just breaking now, it was an intermediary for Mark Meadows that intimidated Hutchinson on behalf of Mark Meadows himself. The Supreme Court has crippled the Environmental Protection Agency. Patsy Baloney. Might have reached a deal with the January Sixth Committee in response to their subpoena. SCOTUS is teeing up the legalization of coups, and the GOP megadonors are turning on Donald.
2: I'm Allison Gill, and I'm Dana Goldberg. I'm giggling because I think my voice sounded very sultry just now, and I'm not sure what that was about. But it was and like, and I'm Dana, Dana Goldberg. Goldberg. Yeah, sir. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone, and also sorry to some of you. <laughs>
0: So, breaking fucking news from Kyle Cheney and uh, Betsy Woodruff-Swan at Politico. And they say January 6th Select Committee publicly pointed to two communications this week as potential evidence of Trump World's efforts to influence witness testimony without revealing their origin. Both were detailed to the panel by Cassidy Hutchinson, according to a person familiar with her final deposition. Both of the two slides in that panel Revealed at the end of its live hearing with Hutchinson reflected conversations she described, Hutchinson described to the committee in her final closed door deposition. Hutchinson told the committee at that time on the eve of her earlier March 7th deposition a while ago, an intermediary for Mark Meadows contacted her to say that her former boss valued her loyalty. So when they say, quote, a person, let me know you have your deposition tomorrow it's Meadows. Meadows, let me know you have your deposition tomorrow. He wants me to let you know that he's thinking about you and he knows you're loyal and you're going to do the right thing when you go in for your deposition. So Meadows is the person whose name was redacted from that slide. Contents of the final deposition were described to Politico, which could not independently corroborate the identity of the intermediary or that Meadows directed any message to be delivered to Hutchinson before her second deposition. Sure. Now, the other slide that the riot committee unveiled at the end of its hearing with Hutchinson this week, quoted an unnamed witness now known to be Hutchinson herself, was received this call describing multiple phone calls she got from allies of the former president. And she said, what they said to me is as long as I continue to be a team player, they know I'm on the right team. I'm doing the right thing. I'm protecting who I need to protect. You know, I'll continue to stay in the good graces in Trump world. And they have reminded me a couple of times that Trump reads transcripts. So it's uh, it was Cassidy Hutchinson that was being intimidated and somebody was doing it on behalf of Mark Meadows.
2: Well, not surprising there. And uh, like I said before, I really think that's why Cassie Hutchinson switched lawyers is because this story we're going to cover today. I think she wasn't able to speak freely with the one that was hired for her, I would say. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that later in the, the, the news stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also later today, I'm going to talk with Sonar Luthra. He's the CEO and founder of Water Canary. We're going to discuss the SCOTUS decision about the Environmental Protection Agency. So uh, with all that breaking news, uh, let's (laughs) I'm glad they're breaking news before we record these days. Usually it's really seriously. (laughs) And it was funny. We had to push back 15 minutes today. Had we not pushed back, we would have missed that story. So there you have it. Yay. All right. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes.
2: All right.
0: So last night, and this goes to the story I just talked about. I was just chilling. CNN was on in the background. I was having a glass of white wine. I get my news from the wire, but I always have something on TV, be it MSNBC, CNN, C-SPAN, whatever. And Zoe Lofgren was scheduled to be on Anderson Cooper, and I wanted to watch her. She tends to break news. So I was sort of half watching that while working on a few other things. And on her way out, just sort of in passing, she said something that made me rewind to the beginning of the clip. And then I rewound it again. And then one last time. Because if she said what I thought she said, she dropped a sledgehammer. And Anderson was like, OK, girl, bye. Thanks. I,
2: you know? I know. I saw. My-
0: <laughs> so let's listen. Let's listen to the clip. And I, I, this might be recorded off my TV. So pardon the sound quality.
1: In a prior hearing, we talked uh, about the hundreds of millions of dollars that the former president raised. Some of that money is being used uh, to pay for lawyers, for witnesses, and it's not clear that that arrangement is uh, one that is without a coercion uh, potential for some of those witnesses. So let's just say this: it's a concern, and anyone who is trying to dissuade or tamper a witness should be uh, on notice that that's a, that's a crime. And uh, we are perfectly prepared to provide any evidence we have to the proper authorities. Congressman Lofgren, I appreciate your time. Thank you.
2: Oh, whoa, 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 what? And Anderson was like, OK, thanks for coming in.
0: <laughs> I think, to be fair to Anderson, I think he was getting breaking news in his headphone,
2: in his little earpiece. Yeah, that, there had to have been something.
0: That Cipollone was going to cut sort of, sort of a transcribed deal with, with the committee. I'll talk about that in a minute. But after I put my hair out, which had caught fire, I made that recording. I tweeted it out because I was like, what the fuck? This seems like the biggest news since the Hutchinson testimony that Donald, who was fraudulently fundraising, was using that fraudulently fundraised money to pay for lawyers, for witnesses to influence them. And I couldn't figure out why Anderson was just like, OK, bye. But then right after that, she went on Ali Velshi, Zolofgren did. And he followed up like for me, like he had heard me scream into the ether.
3: He sure did. Let's listen to that. I want to ask you to elaborate on that. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, I mean, we know that uh, large amounts of money have been spent out of the the fund that was uh, uh, amassed by the former president and is being uh, used to pay for lawyers to various witnesses. Um, The potential for coercion in that case is pretty obvious. Um, I'm not going to comment on which witness those uh, threatening uh, messages were sent to. But obviously, if you read them, there's an intent to uh, dissuade a witness from testifying honestly. So this is a concern.
0: So I was right. This is a big deal, because this morning CNN scooped itself. It said they have sources telling them Donald was actually paying for Hutchinson's lawyers before she fired them and hired better ones. And one of the messages shown at the end of the testimony, at least one of the messages, was to her. We now know that they were both to her. And we now know that one of them was on behalf of Mark Meadows. But I guess CNN was like, we got to sleep on this uh, before (laughs) before they went looking for the answers. And then Politico, bam, got them. Meanwhile, Something no one is bringing up is the fact that the Department of Justice has asked the Oath Keepers lawyers to disclose who's funding them because they seem to think it's Sidney Powell and that she might be influencing their counsel representing the guys who have pled not guilty, much like she was paid to jump in and blow up Flynn's guilty plea. Right now, we know Department of Justice has been investigating Sidney Powell's pack for at least nine months now. I'm certain they found out she was bankrolling Trump world attorney's with money that she defrauded donors for. The New York Times came out with the shit sourced story today saying Department of Justice was blindsided by the Hutchinson testimony, but didn't say who in the Department of Justice, but admitted in its own story that they didn't know if the DOJ was actually investigating anything. I can't imagine they'd have been investigating the Powell pack this whole time and not the Donald pack. But who knows? Congress never gets anything first. But regardless, this is a clear pattern. He did it during Mueller. He dangled pardons. He obstructed justice. He's intimidated witnesses. He's doing it here. And I hope we see criminal repercussions.
2: I hope we do, too. Speaking of criminals, the U.S. Supreme Court announced Thursday that it has agreed to hear a case next term that could upend election laws across the country with the potential endorsement of a fringe legal theory about how much power state legislatures have over the running of congressional and presidential elections. This is terrifying. The case called Moore versus Harper, Moore v. Harper, is centered on newly drawn maps of voting districts for North Carolina's 14 seats, all of North Carolina's 14 seats in the next U.S. House of Representatives. Now, Republican state lawmakers want to resurrect a map that North Carolina's state court struck down finding that the map approved by the GOP-controlled legislature violated multiple provisions in the state's constitution by giving Republican candidates an unfair advantage through partisan gerrymandering. A court-drawn map has been put in place instead for this year's midterm elections. Now, in their appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, however, the Republican lawmakers argue that the U.S. Constitution's elections clause gives state legislatures the power to determine how congressional elections are conducted without any checks and balances from state constitutions or state courts, which is fucking ridiculous, by the way. Now, based on this independent state legislature theory, they contend that North Carolina state court's decision to throw out and replace a legislature-drawn map violates the federal constitution, an argument that radically departs from the U.S. Supreme Court's historical record of deferring to state courts on how state constitutions and laws should be interpreted. Now, the high court declined in March to weigh in on an emergency request for this specific case, but it's in a dissenting opinion three of the court's conservatives, Justices Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas, signaled that they would likely side with the Republican lawmakers to embrace this theory. Now, many legal scholars, however, have been waving warning signs that the high court's endorsement of this theory could have severe consequences across the country for congressional and presidential elections. And this is a quote. It would be extremely disruptive. And this is from Carolyn Shapiro, a law professor and founder and co-director of Chicago Kent College of Laws Institute on the Supreme Court of the United States. Went on to say it would allow the possibility that people who don't like state Supreme Court rulings that have been on the books potentially for years, could step back in and say, well, actually, that ruling only applies to state elections. Mm. Yeah, Vikram Amar, dean of the University of Illinois College of Law, notes that, quote, a hypercharged version of the theory pointed to the electors clause of the U.S. Constitution served as the backdrop for the fake electors scheme. That is the focus of the House Select Committee investigating on the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Okay, so depending on how broadly the Supreme Court rules in the North Carolina redistricting case, Omar says support for the theory by the court could affect the 2024 presidential election. States with Republican controlled legislatures could see it as an invitation to set new election rules that take power away from the voters when picking electors for the electoral college or to make state lawmakers not courts the judges, and disputes after the election, which is just insane. That's all insane. Mm. And this is a quote, it's really a grave danger to American democracy to say that state legislatures are free from state constitutions to do whatever they want. Again, that's a mar. I think it's Amar. Mm-hmm. I apologize if I'm saying that wrong, but he co-wrote an article for the Supreme Court Review at the University of Chicago about how the theory goes against originalist understanding of the U.S. Constitution. And an, then the quote to end that, state constitutions are an important source of American democracy, limits, and rights. And I think it would be terrible if the U.S. Supreme Court distorted federalism to reject that very important premise. Yeah. Yep, this is teeing up a coup. I'm so fucking tired of them like, okay, let's follow state law here. Nope, let's follow federal law here. No, let's give this to states there. And they're setting these weird precedents that they're not following.
0: Yeah, and they're like, what's the point of a state constitution now? If we're not going to follow If the legislature can just override it. 100%. Uh, as you know, everyone, Patsy Bologna has been subpoenaed by the January 6th committee, and it appears they're working together and they might have agreed to a transcribed interview. So George Conway has shared what he would ask Pat, Patsy Bologna, and he said the following. Well, first, he would ask about everything that happened on January 6th. Just lay out the day. Then he would ask him specifically about the things Cassidy Hutchinson testified to, especially the part where he told her we would be charged with every crime imaginable if Donald goes to the Capitol. He would ask him about all the warnings he gave Donald about potential criminal liability. Right. And when asked what the impact of those answers would be, George Conway said the impact would be that it would reinforce Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, giving her more credibility in the face of Trump world attacks, including those from Ornato, who is a Trump loyalist. Additionally, Hutchinson's testimony went a long way to establish Donald's intent, and he offers an example, and this is a great example. He says, take the O.J. Simpson case, not the murder one, not that one, but the one he actually went to prison for nine years for, the armed robbery case. That's where he lured a collector into his hotel room because he believed that collector had stolen memorabilia from him, and then he stole it back at gunpoint. And, and George says it didn't matter whether he thought that stuff belonged to him. No more than it matters that Trump might have thought the election belonged to him. He still used illegal means and he intended to use illegal means to steal it back. And Hutchinson's testimony showed that, showed that Donald intended to use illegal means, force, including force, to take back what he thought was stolen from him. It's
2: a great equivalent. Excellent. Excellent.
0: Excellent. First of all, reminder that <laughs> that O.J. Simpson went to jail for armed robbery, <laughs> right? <laughs> not, but not the murder. Yeah. But second, what a great thing! Like, it, do, it doesn't matter if you if what you're stealing back at gunpoint was
2: yours, or even if you thought it was yours. It's that you stole it back at gunpoint. Absolutely. I, I mean, he's right. Conway's right on this. So, this last story: is support from some of the Republican Party's biggest donors for a 2024 White House run by the former guy is dwindling, which is a lovely thing to hear, especially after damaging news details of his actions on January 6, 2021, were revealed in a hearing Tuesday by the House Select Committee investigating the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Republican financiers and their advisors have been privately meeting since the committee started to release the initial findings of its probe in a series of public hearings earlier this month, and that's according to interviews with top GOP fundraisers who have helped the party raise millions and millions of dollars. Most of the people asked not to be named, of course, because they didn't want to provoke retribution from Trump or his allies. Well, No, who would ever? Who would ever? <laughs> that and they don't want to admit that they're giving money to Trump. <laughs> no shit. Now, these people, AG, they've been discussing the November midterms and who they're going to support in 2024. So they're both on the table. Now, one name that doesn't often get brought up as a potential presidential candidate is Trump. These people explain, we don't talk about him. We're moving on. And there's a quote. Donors are very concerned that Trump is the one Republican who can lose in 2024. And that's from Eric Levine, an attorney and longtime GOP fundraiser. He said that after the hearing Tuesday featuring testimony from former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson went on to say, I think donors were already moving away from Trump, he noted. And Levine is co-hosting a fundraising event for the Trump endorsed former TV host and current Pennsylvania Senate candidate. It's really hard to not Let's say this with the street Yeah. yeah. Doctor Oz in New York in September, and that's according to an invitation reviewed by CNBC. So they're having a fundraiser for Doctor Oz in New York, which is not the state he's running in, and the state he's running in is not the state he lives in. So mm-hmm. very, very confusing there and a lot of bullshit. Now, for Donald, it's a similar theme to his first run for president. Now, at that time, many corporate business leaders backed other Republican candidates like Jeb Bush early on the race, only later to back Donald when it was obvious he was going to capture the nomination. Now, a person close to some of the biggest real estate executives in New York who backed Donald during both of his runs for White House said this time is different. Their view is he's taken major hits during January 6 hearings. None from that group are coming to defend him, at least for now. And this person added, the silence has been deafening. Now, the lack of interest in Trump by some of the wealthiest Republican donors could boost fundraising efforts for other GOP presidential hopefuls. Multiple Republicans could run in 2024, including Ron DeSantis, the former Vice President Mike Pence, Senator Tim Scott, the Republican from South Carolina, and Senator Tom Cotton, the other racist Republican. From Arkansas, Scott is up for re-election in 2022, but recently headlined an event in Iowa, a key state of candidates running for president. And Cotton reportedly has huddled with donors to discuss a possible 2024 oh, run. Fuck I know all those guys. Fuck all those guys, indeed.
0: Yeah, and this is a concern, right? I was just on John John Fugel sings. Show. Tell me everything. And he's like, "What well, isn't this just it didn't didn't Hutchinson just tee up DeSantis for president, basically? Yeah. And so, you know, the question is, did we want to face Trump in 2024 or someone else? And that's a really good question. Trump would be very, I think, easier to beat. But uh, I do too. Hard to run from prison. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, although, you know what? I wouldn't be like, oh, what a surprise. It, I Nothing surprises me. And the Supreme Court today curbed the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to broadly regulate carbon emissions from existing power plants, a major defeat for the Biden administration's attempt to slash emissions. And I'll be joined by the CEO and founder of Water Canary, Sonar Luthra, right after this break to discuss the ramifications and what we can do. Stay with us.
1: Hey, everybody,
0: it's AG. I know you love your pets and I know you care about the environment. So you'll be happy to hear that Jiminy's dog food and treats is made from cricket protein and perfect for you both. Jiminy, like Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy's is sustainably made because cricket protein uses less water and land to produce and drastically eliminates greenhouse gas emissions versus traditional animal protein dog food. Makes sense, right? One bag of Jiminy's cricket protein treats saves 220 gallons of water versus traditional animal protein treats. And Jiminy's is easy for dogs to digest because cricket protein contains a fiber that is a prebiotic, which supports a healthy gut in your dog. It's also good food for dogs with sensitive allergies or dogs with, you know, sensitivity to tastes because insect protein is considered hypoallergenic for dogs versus other allergy triggering proteins like beef, chicken, fish and soy. So you get all these health benefits and environmental benefits. Plus, dogs love it. I can actually use these treats to train. That's how much my dog loves them. It includes delicious, nutritious, plant-based ingredients in Jiminy's like sweet potatoes, blueberries, peanut butter, and pumpkin. I was surprised at how much Olive loved her new dog food and treats from Jiminy's. And now she literally jumps for joy before every meal. So to learn more and save 25% on your first purchase, go to Jiminy's.com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25 at checkout. That's Jiminy's, J-I-M-I-N-Y-S dot com slash DailyBeans25 with code DailyBeans25 at checkout. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by the founder and CEO of Water Canaries, a fellow at RAND, and with the Council on Strategic Risks in D.C. to talk to us about the Supreme Court stripping the EPA of any real authority. Please welcome my friend Sonar Luthra. Hello, Sonar. Hi, Alison. I would ask you how you're doing today, but uh, that would be a performative question. Uh, angry. Yeah. Very angry. Tell us your top line thoughts on this on the Supreme Court decision today.
3: You know, I'm going to take a little license here because this is technically news with swearing because um, we're being told by the Roberts opinion that the Congress never clearly said it intended to delegate to to the EPA the ability to regulate CO2 in an act that's called the Fucking Clean Air Act. (laughs) Like the name is all you need to know what the intent is. And if you look at the Kagan dissent, it it eviscerates every lie in this opinion. And, you know, frankly, like there are plenty of people who are experts. So, so I, I need to stipulate here. I am not a lawyer. I do a lot of policy work and I do a lot of work in trying to solve climate and water problems. So I'm not here necessarily to, to, to analyze like the, the new legal theories that are that are being expounded here. But I am here to, to simply articulate that this This may not have been a complete like blanket, like let's strip away everything the EPA can do, but it is to say that we refuse to articulate what the EPA can do anymore. And we leave open the possibility that at any moment we can simply say this was never intended. And the result of all this is basically to say that from now on, decisions that we used to leave to experts will require Congress passing laws. You know, and it's it's a similar deferral to what's going on with Roe to what's going on with other things that, oh, well, there's no reason why Congress can't articulate this and state it clearly when it already has. But so that leaves us in this place where Congress, which, frankly, doesn't have enough time, does not have, you know, enough minutes in the day to tackle problems of this level of complexity That instead of the EPA simply issuing rules and how it intends to exercise authority that it's been granted, you're going to have to, instead of issuing rules, you're going to have to pass a law every time in order to get anything done. And you can technically say, oh, the federal government still has all of its rights intact. But what what you can't argue is that we are left with a government that can act fast enough and that can act smart enough, that can take actions that, that really reflect the best understanding of what the best possible way of responding to climate change is and so so we're really just left in this place where the influence of lobbyists is good, is going to explode based on this opinion and the ability for our agencies for for the experts to dictate anything about what happens along these lines is being severely compromised here
0: yeah and to you know to bring up a point you don't need to be a lawyer right neither of us need to be lawyers to see that the two sides of the court aren't working on the same set of designated facts. They're utilizing weird language, federalist language, to to couch what they want to see done. And to me, leaving everything up to Congress is what these Christo fascists, frankly, on the Supreme Court want, because they want Americans to hate democracy and to be angry about its slow pace. And to be mad that nothing can get done so that we will welcome in our autocratic overlords. That is, I think, part of the long 40 or 50 year plan that the Federalist Society has been banking on that Grover Norquist sort of a a situation where we we shrink government down until we can drown it in the bathtub. But that's why so many times we've heard President Biden in in pretty much every speech, major speech that he gives, saying look we have to get these things passed we have to work with each other we have to get these things passed through congress because otherwise that sends a message to the rest of the world and to autocrats here at home that democracy doesn't work and we can't have that be the central message and i feel like that's what the supreme court is pushing us into believing
3: yeah it's it they're they're playing a very cruel cool game you know the the entire opinion is just it's one False statement, you know, followed by a false accusation, you know, followed by a complete perversion of the facts. You know, speaking as though Trump's EPA and Obama's EPA, that the contradictions between those two administrations are just how the EPA works, you know, and and basically saying that, you know, because these things have gone back and forth, you know, like all these all of these very poor states and businesses that were never subject to any penalty under guidance that the Obama administration was never allowed to put into effect.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's just it's pretending that there are injuries here in order to make claim that if the government can't promise it will never try to do this again, then all of these people have standing here. All of these people have the right to uh, take on the government and request, you know, what what I think most people would agree. You know, amounts to just opinion making, not not ruling on actual cases that that really would make sense in any other context. Right.
0: And there and there are certain things that should be left up to experts, frankly. And this this kind of undermines not only our the EPA, but then in any institution, federal agency, CDC, FDA, USDA, like OSHA, like any federal agency is now subject to this type of of ruling where the the Supreme Court can just say, You know, you know what you you should just pass laws. You should let Congress handle this it's it's extremely frustrating it's it's uh, the dumbing down of of our democracy it's uh, it, there's just so many things um that this just looks like idiocracy, right? Like in forty years we'll be like, brondo, plants crave it because we don't have an ePA that can make any regulations now, you know, fortunately in states like California. Our policies sort of set regulation because we are such huge consumers of things where, you know, where we say, hey, we only are going to sell cars that get 50 miles to the gallon. And so all of the car manufacturers kind of have to fall in line because we buy more cars than, you know, Wyoming.
3: Thank God for that.
0: (laughs) So that now it's going to be left up to, to state regulators and just rules for how to conduct business. But to take, to strip away these these federal regulations is absolutely bonkers, particularly when we're on the brink of the tipping point, if we're not past the tipping point of saving our, our climate. So what can we do, the Sonar? What can we do?
3: You know, so so the thing to understand about what what the EPA, you know, h- how the EPA works is that it is it's kind of understood as like a cooperative institution. It it is not the one that actually goes in and tells a state exactly how to enforce a rule. It it basically works with states to say, look, here is a standard for water quality. Here's a standard for air quality. And here, according to us are the best practices for getting the results that like are being mandated here. Do you disagree with that? Oh, well, let's work with you to figure that out. And, oh, d- do we have a dispute here about what is going on? Well, you know, we're going to trust you to figure this out and, you know, and hope that you that we can convince you or that this can work out. It's it's a very patient, not a bullying institution. Yeah. So so on one level, it's like you look at a state like California, and as long as we don't ban California's ability to do this, which is something that people have argued would happen if we ever were to lose Congress again. And I I agree that that would absolutely happen. You know, states that already support and believe in climate change and are passing legislation are going to be able to continue doing what they are doing. But the thing that we won't be able to do is is do things like international treaties with any type of credibility. And, you know, there is no one who would argue that the 2016 Paris Agreement could have happened if the U.S.'s ability to commit to it were under question. Right. So that whole framework, you know, starts to turn into something that, you know, may rely on governors, may rely on states, you know, one by one making these commitments and being able to do that. And that is something that everyone here who lives, you know, whatever state you live in, like that is where we're going to have to be focusing from here on. And but the challenge is, you know, the same concern that's come up this entire term is is are we going to be abandoning people and states you know where there is a high amount of pollution and where there's absolutely no rigorous enforcement of you know federal laws or state laws and it's very hard to argue that those states are going to not be left behind and it's going to be even harder to argue if we keep the current state of affairs intact you know, I can foresee a day where we're looking at another ruling and it's looking at how well California chose this, but this state chose this. So we can't say this is the only accepted way to approach climate change. And and again, like bad faith will be get more and more bad faith. So what we're left with is, yeah, we, we have to focus at the state level and states that are are literally open for the importation of pollution, you know, just based on their laws. People will just ship things and trains to them to get rid of toxic waste for less money. Those states, like, that is only going to increase. And what you're going to see is a complete need to start applying more social pressure on polluters when we can't actually expect, you know, the the weight of the federal government to come down on any type of pollution. So that, that you know, effectively means that, you know, what the Supreme Court is creating in some states, not all is, you know, what what I'd call a paradise for polluters, like it is, you know, all of the ambiguity and deniability they need to keep doing it and then claim later, well, the Supreme Court didn't actually tell us what was going to happen. And neither did the, the Biden administration, because now the Biden administration is to is probably going to be Reluctant to articulate what it wants, because every time it does that, it might face another ruling. so without without painting too grim a picture, you know, it's really hard to understand how we cohere as a country in in light of this, because we don't have the same pre-civil war government that didn't have programs that administered. You know, that a lot of this is about attacking the idea that, Experts in government could make decisions that Congress isn't capable of doing, so so if if that's under attack here we're we're going to need to strengthen that at the state level. We're also going to need to pour a lot of unnecessary money into lobbying Congress to make sure that bans don't go into effect because that's kind of the next stage for all of these things that like, yes, we might be leaving you know forced abortion may now be the rule in certain states, but not all. But if a ban were to go in effect, that would trickle down to every other state. And, and those are the types of, of things that we're getting closer to here that we have to be really careful about.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's very important that we vote in our local elections because those red states, part of the plan is to make them more red and to get you to leave if you're a Democrat and you don't like it, so that they can be more red, because if we have 26 red states and a huge stronghold, and oh look, an election gets thrown to the House, and there are 26 Republican-delegated House states to vote for who gets to be president, guess who it's going to be? So you know, thinking of these, the way that this impacts us in a big picture, and and where this Supreme Court wants us to go, that's the path we're headed down. So that's why I think voting in your local city. County elections is very important. Voting for governor in a lot of these red states is going to be extremely important, and of course, keeping and holding Congress, the Senate, and the Congress, so that when we do have to pass our own laws, because we can't let the EPA do it anymore, we have the people in place to do it. I think that uh, it seems like the the answer always boils down to voting and organizing.
3: Well, what I'd like to do is get past what I think a lot of people are calling the "vote harder" <laughs> response, which which. In some circles, is being called the thoughts and prayers of the left because we absolutely need to vote. We absolutely can't let this get worse. But we also need to have a target. You know, we also need to have, you know, a clearly articulated goal for this. And so the things that people should be thinking about that actually can start locally, that can start at the state level, that can grow, are things like the Fossil Fuel Nonproliferation Treaty, which, you know, I'm a I'm, I am a champion for it is you know literally an effort to not just look at the way that we're going to penalize pollution, but a way to cut off the supply of fossil fuels to say that we've already we've already allocated the rights to extract more fossil fuels from the planet than we have a budget to actually emit and burn, you know, in the century if we're going to meet our climate goals and so what we need to be doing which can happen under a lot of different jurisdictions is is stopping more drilling permits is is getting to a place where cities are going to start saying well we are going to take action to end the leasing rights you know for these oil rigs we are going to in a you know it's it's hard to imagine this in the state of texas but it's easier to imagine on a smaller level certain you know counties in texas deciding that their water security is actually more important than, you know, than fracking. And that if we actually start to shut off and start to challenge, you know, these mineral rights that have been sold to these companies, that 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 actually is a way to start attacking this, you know, at a geographical scale, you know, piece by piece. And I think that that's where we need to all be putting a lot of energy because every single one of those, sites that we shut down every single one of these places is actually getting us much closer to reducing emissions than 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 proposing a trading scheme that may never go into effect and that isn't to say we don't need trading schemes but it's to say that we need to actually you know at a local level be doing the most concrete thing possible um, so that's where I would tell people to be focusing energy right now because, it, it does have potential to succeed, even if we can't rely on a federal government to do that work for us.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree 100 percent. I don't I didn't mean to suggest that voting is the only thing we need to do.
3: Absolutely. I, I
0: hope I hope nobody misunderstood that. But if we don't vote, none of this matters. Yes. Uh, so that's yes. that's just a base. That's a very
2: blocking and chewing gum.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <base> <laughs> thing. But these these things that can get done at the local level city councils, county councils, when we talk about stuff going on at the state level, state boards, how the money, for example, coming in from the infrastructure bill gets spent, where that money goes. Uh, you know, because Texas knows more than anyone that, that wind makes money. Wind energy is a winning strategy. Rick Perry, believe it or not, the guy who wanted to abolish the, the Department of Education and three other things, Department of Energy knows. I mean, he lined his pockets uh, with with wind energy in Texas. They know, they just don't want to say it out loud. So we just need to make that sort of obvious and we can do it all at the same time while, you know, again, like you said, walk and shoot gum. And tell everyone where they can get more information on how to do this locally, where they can find you and where they can follow you.
3: Yeah. So I'm at Sonar, Sonar with S-O-N-A-R with two A's on Twitter. You can also, you know, if you want to learn about the fossil fuel nonproliferation treaty, just go to fossilfueltreaty.org. And, you know, generally, you should really just spend some time looking at, you know, where how do you locally depend on these laws to keep you safe and try to find who locally is actually responsible for implementing them and back them up. Because they still have the ability to do that work for your state, which is who they were probably doing it for in the beginning. And that is is those people are going to need your support, because the real fear here is that this is going to drive more and more people out of this space when we need to be creating jobs in this sector.
0: A hundred percent. Thank you so much for your time today. Again, SCOTUS deciding to strip the EPA of any real authority and teeth uh, and, you know, more agencies, I think, are on the chopping block to come. I appreciate your time, founder, CEO of Water Canary, Sonar Luthra. We'll uh, talk again soon. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back for the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG. As you know, I recently gutted my house, remodeled the whole thing, but I didn't really do anything to my bedroom. That was the last thing, and I just finished it. I upgraded it by purchasing the bed from Thuma. Thuma practices an intentional less is more design philosophy, which I love. Uh, It's got clean lines, subtle curves, and lifestyle enhancing details thuma proves that simplicity is the truest form of sophistication the bed by thuma is handcrafted from eco-friendly high quality and upcycled wood so it's good for the planet and you'll find beautiful unique variations in the natural wood grain the minimalist design featuring japanese joinery fits perfectly in my mid mod space Uh, it's super supportive for your mattress it's breathable and made to naturally minimize noise and it just creates openness in your room i love it so much The bed by Thuma is backed with a lifetime warranty, ships right to your door in three easy-to-maneuver boxes, and it only took me about five-ish minutes to assemble with no tools required. It was so easy. And Thuma works with one tree planted, and they plant one tree for every bed and nightstand sold. And all of their essentials are Green Guard Gold certified because Thuma cares about the planet as much as they care about helping you create the bedroom of your dreams. So create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel suite, but at home with The Bed by Thuma. And now go to thuma.co slash beans to receive $25 credit towards your purchase of the bed plus free shipping in the continental U.S. That's thuma.co slash beans. Again, thuma, T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans for a $25 credit. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? In or near good news good news and if you have any good news confessions corrections anything you want to send us you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact i'm going to kick us off with a submission from rob pronouns he and him hola las reinas de los frijoles. two yes <laughs> two bits of good news in one one my son and i saw steely dan last weekend at wolf trap i saw them at the hollywood bowl they're amazing to see live The Wolf Trap, the only national park for the performing arts. It was a great show and the first time I've been in a public space like that since the before times. Number two, both of my kids will be attending UVA in the fall because they're both wicked smart. And the school is a great fit for both of them. Child one just finished his first year and child two starts in the fall. It's not easy to let go of your kids. They're both protected treasures and amazing human beings ready to take on the world. I'm hopeful and grateful that the future looks like them. Attached is a picture of Jose. He was happy to show out at the graduation parade with a UVA bandana. He's a good boy, but doesn't care for when Vernon the cat treats him as a toy to jump on. Jose is a distinguished older gentleman who does not deserve such foolishness. Yes, I can tell.
2: (laughs) He sure is cute. He's like, I do not deserve such foolishness.
0: Look at that salt and pepper distinguished gentleman. Look at distinguished gentleman.
2: Oh, Um, this. Okay. All right. cute. This photo, okay. I know. All right, we're going from Rob to Robin, which is fun, Robin's pronouns she and her. Hi, ladies, I've been a faithful follower from the kitchen table days. Every day, I need to hear the news through my AG filter. Otherwise, (laughs) it's just too overwhelming. When I hear you say hello at the beginning of each episode, my heart lightens and I know I can carry on. You mentioned today that you wanted to see some pics of postcards, so I'm enclosing a photo from some I'm writing for the Center for Common Ground, which sends postcards to rural voters of color who otherwise don't get many contact opportunities. Nice. Yeah, I'm also sending a Halloween photo of my proudly homemade RBG costume. In addition, I'm sending a photo of our pandemic pet, Pip, <laughs> letting everyone know to go out and vote. Cheers and lots of love. And Pip is adorable, okay. Yorkie. Okay. Maybe. Okay, Pip.
0: Excellent, RBG. You know you look like Jen Taub, too. You look like a lawyer. Totally. That's beautiful. It's bedazzled. I love the descent collar. Oh, these postcards are great. Look at all the colors. Love it. I do too. Yes. Early. Bring bring ID. ID. Avoid long lines. Fuck yes. This next to the people. Picture. (gasps) Okay. It's Lola Gale. It's Lola Gale with the pandemic brood. I couldn't be more proud of H-E-B, a Texas-based grocery store. They're always doing great things all over Texas and around the country. This week, they announced the following. The Butt family and H-E-B led the way with a $10 million donation to help build new elementary campus in Uvalde. Wow. They've been longtime supporters of public education. As a pod pet tax, here is Piewacket showing off his bits as the kitten. Look at the they were baby. I mean, he really is like, look at me. Lude, lewd, L-E-W-D, lewd. Oh, God, so cute. And <laughs> I'm going to grab the next one, too. Thank you, uh, uh, Gail. Anytime, you know, you can just daily, Lola Gail, you could just daily send in photos of these guys. So I love cute. the Tabby, Team Tabby for, all, for always. And then from Jennifer Pronouns, she and her, hey, Beans Crew. Not much good news going on in the world right now, and it's frustrating. However, I am built for this shit. I am a protester at my core. I have been hooked ever since my first in ninth grade. We were protesting the WMDs and the entire Iraq clusterfuck. Since the early 90s, I have organized rallies in San Diego of over 10,000 people, down to a couple hundred folks for BLM in my local Maryland suburb in the suburb of 2020. My favorite part of living in the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, is being able to be in the thick of things and the heart of our democracy to give him hell. I have to admit, I'm disappointed by the level of uprising after Roe was overturned. I'm encouraged by the president's comments today about the filibuster. Anyhow, for my pic tax, I'm including some shots from SCOTUS this past week and one from last night when we protested outside of Brett. I like beer, Kavanaugh, and John, I'm not the worst Roberts houses. I have lots of video, but they're too large to upload and share. Anyhow, thanks for doing what you do and helping keep us sane. Look at this. Excellent. It is excellent. Oh, look at that. I love this. I love oh, this kind of solidarity just gets me, man. Same. Regulate your dick. <laughs> I love that sign. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, All right. You want to take this home with this last? I am happy to.
2: I know. This is from Victoria P. Pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies. Good news. Seems difficult to come by these days, but having two teen girls who are smart, kind, and delightful to be around makes my day to day life easier. Mm. The good news is my eldest daughter just came back from Costa Rica, where she volunteered for a week at a sea turtle sanctuary.
0: That's been <gasps> cool. I know. Whoa, after a, uh, hey, who? Uh, dude, you're
2: the best mom. What, like, I wanted to do that in high school. That would have been so killer. Right? After a long, hard, stressful year in school, this was an amazing experience. And she came home yesterday with a renewed spirit. And confidence that made my heart so filled. Attached for Pet Tax is a picture of Ginger, my dog, and my friend's dog, Otis, who is a ham and a very solid pug. Look at this ham. Okay, first of all, the eyebrows on this little dog. I know. Otis. Yeah, look at the no, next this picture. this is Ginger. This yeah. is
0: Ginger. Okay, and then Otis.
2: <laughs> I mean.
0: Oh, that looks so, so velvety soft. I want to pet this. I want to boop the snoot. Oh my God, so, so sweet.
2: So, so Thank sweet.
0: You. Thank you so much for these pictures. All of them. The protest pictures, the puppy pictures, the kitty pictures, wackets lewd. I appreciate it all. Thank you so much. If you have anything you want to send to us, just go right now. Just go look through your favorites, right? On your yeah. phone and send your pet pics in and just say, here, here you go. Um, and then also, again, I'm, I'm always taking misheard or misunderstood closed captions. Those are always fun. And, you know, in honor of Patsy Baloney. I appreciate those. So you could send those in and I'm always down for a good whoopee story. Those, those are tearjerkers always. So thank you. You could send them in at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana, do you have any final thoughts today? Um, what day is it? It's the weekend.
2: Yes, everyone have a fantastic weekend. I'll be back in your ears Monday morning. Yes,
0: yes. And I will be there on Sunday and, you know, provided I don't fall desperately ill again with another you episode are not going to. of the MSW Book Club and Mueller She Wrote. Uh, and then we'll be back with The Beans on Monday. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. And uh, please, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been A.G. And I've been D.G. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants,